You are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material. And before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at CBA and today I'm joined by Carol Kong, a Senior Associate in our International Economics and Currency team. Carol, good to have you on. Great to be back, Belinda. Now, what I really enjoy about hosting these podcasts is just a diversity of topics that we end up talking about on here. And we've gone over the last few podcasts. I'm just thinking back what we've done. We've talked about inflation. We've talked about income and what that means for demand for food. We've talked about China. And then again today, we're just uh, completely changing course and talking about biodiversity and the growing nature-related risks around this, particularly how it could impact on businesses going forward. So in some of our previous podcasts, we talked about carbon emissions and risks around climate change, but the focus on biodiversity is really lifting, and this is the second report that you've done on this, but it seems like, Mm -hmm. just like climate change, we're starting to see an increasing focus for industries and businesses, changes to the regulatory environment. So I guess what you and I are going to talk about today is kind of what are the nature-related risks for businesses and why are we talking about it now and maybe why they've been underappreciated in the past? So nature-related risks are essentially risks that arise from changes in businesses' dependency on nature and impacts on nature. So as you said, Belinda, there is increasing attention on biodiversity loss, uh, which is very good to see. But I think nature-related risks are still underappreciated, especially when you think about the relationship between biodiversity loss and climate change. They tend to exacerbate um, one another. Mm. Perhaps one of the major reasons why nature-related risks are often overlooked by businesses is that uh, biodiversity is so complex. Um, mm. It is multidimensional in a sense that you cannot simply represent the health of ecosystems with uh, one indicator, like how we commonly use the amount of carbon dioxide emissions when discussing the impact on climate change. Also, there is currently a lack of data and measurement tools to track progress on the biodiversity, which is an issue that will be addressed by two new developments in this space. Uh, We can get into that uh, in a moment, but this lack of Data and tools have really limited businesses' ability to understand and assess nature-related risks. And us economists love data. We love being able to track things. So it obviously is a, has been a big impediment uh, in this space. And as you said, it is a lot more multidimensional. So before we get into data and the need for that, what are the consequences of nature-related risks? So understanding the consequences of nature-related risk is so important because it then allows you to sort of more fully appreciate the significance of biodiversity loss. So what are the consequences to businesses? Well, there these things include asset write-offs, um, disruptions to supply chains and increased cost of capital. And as you know, the current COVID mm. pandemic is a perfect example of how nature-related risk have impacts on the financial markets as well. 
So there is some evidence that the pressures on ecosystems have made it easier for infectious diseases like COVID mm. to jump from wildlife to human populations. And we all know what happens next. Um, yeah. Virus outbreaks forced governments around the world to impose lockdowns, which resulted in widespread recessions and downgrades to asset valuations. So I guess the bottom line here is that nature-related risks are a financial risk yeah. to businesses. And I think accounting for and managing nature-related risks may increasingly become a priority for our businesses. It's really fascinating, isn't it, kind of the, how the last 18 months may be bringing some of these issues to the fore at the same time that we've been talking a lot more about climate risk as well. So we've seen the Task Force of Nature-Related Financial Disclosures launched in June 2021. What do we need to understand about this in relation to biodiversity? Yeah, so many of us might have heard of um, the Task Force of Climate-Related mm. Financial Disclosures or TCFD, but not the Task Force of Nature-Related Financial yep. Disclosures, TNFD. But similar to the TCFD, the TNFD aims to develop a reporting framework for companies and financial institutions. And the difference here is that the focus of the TNFD is on nature-related risk yeah. rather than climate-related risk. And if we look at the preliminary guidance, um, it says that the TNFD framework will broadly follow the TCFD framework and adopt a four-pillar structure. And this will, of course, facilitate companies' adoption because it is likely that the same teams within businesses will work on um, implementing both frameworks. And I guess it is worth pointing out that unlike the TCFD, the TNFD will adopt an accounting concept called double materiality. And what it means is that companies will need to disclose how their activities impact and depend on nature. Mm. I mean, the framework is still being developed and we'll likely see the final release in late 2023. Okay. So narrowing it down to Australia, obviously, you know, we have a lot of businesses dependent on nature, tourism and agriculture in particular. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a big part of the Australian economy and Australian businesses. How could all this impact on Australia and Australian businesses? Well, I think a good way to think about this is to look at the TCFD. So the TCFD, which uh, released the disclosure recommendations in 2017, has garnered uh, a lot of attention from Australian regulatory bodies over recent years. For example, ASIC and the uh, ASX Corporate Governance Council recommend um, listed entities in Australia adopt the TCFD disclosure framework. And at the same time, the G7 has indicated they want to make the TCFD disclosure mandatory globally. Mm. So this suggests that it is likely that large companies in Australia will ultimately be required to disclose their nature-related risk and dependencies, and the TNFD framework will help to um, standardise these nature-related disclosures. There's also a new global biodiversity framework underway, so what's happening at the international level that we need to be made aware of as well? Yeah, so the first draft of the so-called post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework has been released three months ago. And this is very exciting mm -hmm. because the framework will essentially replace the 2010 to 2020 Archie Biodiversity targets, which were widely considered a failure, unfortunately. 
So this new framework comprises um, 21 action targets and 10 milestones with the aim of stabilizing the factors that contribute to biodiversity loss by 2030 and allowing the ecosystems to recover in the next 20 years. In fact, one of the targets states that all businesses um, will have to assess and report on their dependencies and impacts on biodiversity. So this only adds to the case that companies uh, should at least consider incorporating nature-related risk reporting into their financial uh, disclosures. And the draft will be further revised and hopefully be adopted at the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity, Biodiversity Conference, or the COP15 in mid-2022. So it's going to be an issue that's really going to be evolving from here, just talking about, just hearing about the different timelines you're talking about, the regulatory frameworks and disclosures that are coming in place. So what does, I guess, changes internationally, what does that mean for Australia? Well, as a signatory to the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, tighter biodiversity policies are likely in Australia um, at the national or state level. Mm. So this tighter policy could have flow-on effects across sectors, across the economy, especially those who have a high direct dependence on biodiversity, biodiversity, such as agriculture and tourism, as you just said. Um, but I think merely assessing and reporting this risk is um, insufficient. Companies will have to um, develop targets and strategies to mitigate nature-related risks. Um, it is also worthwhile pointing out that Australia is highly exposed to transition risk. Mm. Australia may be impacted by policy changes in our major trading partners. So I think one hypothetical example is that businesses could be banned or taxed from importing goods from economies that do not meet um, certain sustainability thresholds. And also uh, the adoption of the framework would send a strong signal to the public that biodiversity loss is a serious issue, just like climate change, that needs to be addressed. So overall, all of this suggests that Australian uh, businesses may need to start managing nature-related risks and implementing practices that will improve biodiversity in order to maintain their competitiveness. It's it's so fascinating hearing about this because there are so similarities about the risks around climate change. For Australia, Kim Mundy's spent a bit of time talking about carbon pricing, how Australia may be impacted from our trading partners and how they're progressing on their climate change goals. Biodiversity is obviously a different risk, but still we may need to see some investment take place around that or investment into nature. I guess looking at investment in nature at the moment, how does it happen and, and how much does happen? Yeah, that's right, Belinda. Um, so there is currently about 133 billion US dollars in nature-based solutions annually, and most of this money comes from the public sector. Mm. But um, this amount still falls well short of what is needed to tackle biodiversity loss. Um, it is estimated that annual nature-based solutions investments um, need to increase by at least four times over the next three decades in order to meet the world's climate change, biodiversity, and land degradation targets. So why why is it so small? I mean, it doesn't seem like a big sum of money compared to the size of the world economy. Why is it small and, and how do we change it? I think the current underinvestment in nature and the relatively small scale of um, private sector investments can really be boiled down to two things. 
So the first one is market failure. Mm. I don't want to get too technical here, but, um, <laughs> so I'll explain using the example of the tragedy of the commons, um, which I'm sure you've heard of previously. So it basically means that individuals are incentivized to consume rather than protect the community's nature, mm. uh, natural resources such as forests. Market failure can be corrected by a government intervention usually, but um, looking at current government intervention, it seems that the investments and um, interventions are currently impeding rather than supporting nature-positive private investments. So how do we change that? Well, governments can intervene in a way that drives better biodiversity outcomes, for example, by repurposing existing biodiversity harmful subsidies to the benefit of nature. And the government can also establish a market for nature-positive activities and assets so that the private sector is financially incentivized to protect and invest in nature. And I think the second reason why private sector investments are relatively small is that the lack of data and metrics for biodiversity, which I touched on earlier. And the result is that investors may tend to overvalue companies that exploit natural resources and undervalue companies that invest mm. in natural resources. But fortunately, both the TNFD and the post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework aim to close this data gap. And by closing this data gap, we can then close the finance gap, which is critical to addressing biodiversity loss. Carol, it's a, it's a fascinating topic and even just you can see how much more we're going to be talking about this in coming years as well as climate change risks. So really appreciate your joining today and kind of running through all the work you've been doing. And now you can read Carol Kong's piece on nature-related risks, the clock is ticking on combankresearch.com.au and that was published on the 29th of September 2021. And that's the second piece Carol has written on biodiversity. And you can also read if you're interested in all the work we've been doing on sustainable economics, uh, you can also read all our other research reports, which contains a number of different topics, Carol, doesn't it, on climate change, circular economy, biodiversity, all of that uh, on our website as well. Thanks for joining, Carol. Thanks, Belinda.